Good morning. Christmas season is here. Celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, Charlotte and I weren't here last Sunday because my brother-in-law died in Florida, so we went down there and we wound up having to empty out a trailer, and so we came back determined to, well, the first thing I did when I got back is I opened my dresser drawer and I took out 20 t-shirts, put them in a bag, and we're going to give them away. So, uh, you know, the old, the old VBS shirts, all those things, you know, and I, anyway. Appreciate your prayers. We had a, it was a, a rather work, working few days because my brother-in-law died moving us. But anyway, appreciate your prayers all the time for us. And uh, just if we can be a praying people, we'll be, we'll be doing fine. So we're going to be praying for each other. So we're in Genesis 22. Now this study began as a one study that I was going to do uh, two Sundays ago. And then as, uh, on Sunday morning as I looked at it, I thought, you know what, we're going to take three, day, three studies in this because there's so much to this this passage in Genesis 22, uh, and we're, I'm calling it the testing of your faith. And so Abraham here is being called by God to do something you would think is, un, is unthinkable. But it didn't happen in just sort of God called Abraham, and now he's saying, go offer your, your son Isaac. This was years of God working in Abraham's life to bring him to this place that we'll see this morning and also next week, this place where he... It's almost, it's one, one commentator, it's staggering when God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer an amount that I will show you. He says the next more early in the morning, Abraham gets up to go do it. And that did not happen overnight. That was years. And so as we're looking at this passage today, again, this morning, and then next week, the focus of this whole passage is the cross of Jesus Christ. And what he did for us to give to us a faith that is anchored. It's anchored in the love of God for us. And so I hope today as we're going to look at this, Abraham trusted God. The question is, do you trust God? It's a good question, isn't it? And that is going to be tested. Abraham, God tested Abraham. The testing is not the pass-fail so much as proving what the real deal is. And so... When I say I trust God and then something comes along and though I, in my mind, know he can be trusted, that's test and I realize, you know, I really don't trust him in some of these matters. So would you, if you're in Genesis 22, would you stand as I read the first eight verses? We do that just to honor the word. Every time we read the Bible, we're reading, we're hearing God speaking to us. Do you believe that? So unlike any other book, this is God's word. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's God's means of communicating to us very clearly what the truth is, and thus faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we're going to, do we trust God? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. Next week, God built, uh, Abraham built an altar, and we'll look at that next week. So in Genesis 22, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. 
So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. Now here is very important. I pointed that. I'll point it out next week also. King James, New King James says, provide for himself. Translation should be, God will provide himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I think in Revelation, how he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Lord, we are wide open. We want to open our hearts, our minds, to hear the engrafted word, to hear the truth, to hear the things that you have for us this morning. We're asking, give us ears to hear. And not only, Lord, hearing it, but then we, that you would take by your Holy Spirit and help us to apply it this morning. And as we're talking about trusting you, Lord, we want to trust you like we've never trusted you before. And we know you can be trusted. We know, Lord, that you want to be trusted. But, Lord, we need the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through the things that you take us through, that we'd have a deeper and deeper faith because of who you are. So, Lord, please bless the things that I prepared. Break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Genesis 22 goes alongside of Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 53, if you don't know that. These two chapters, as well as many others, but those two particularly, as three of the most profound prophetic passages in all the Bible. And these passages are detailing the future reality and significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we're looking at, these, at this passage here in chapter 22, the crucifixion, that means of, of uh, punishing, killing human beings for punishment, was first devised by the Persians in 300 to 400 B.C., it was perfected by the Romans, who were around when Jesus was here. David wrote Psalm 22, about 1,000 B.C., which means this passage was written six to 700 years before crucifixion was even devised. Isaiah chapter 53 was prophesied and written about 750 B.C., so 300 to 400 years before it was ever devised by the Persians. And yet God gives detail as far as what his son would go through on the cross, as well as in Genesis chapter 22. So we are walking on holy ground when we look at these passages. The love of the father and the son on full display before it would ever happen, that we might know who God is, what he accomplished for us, and what he desires us to have in knowing him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To deepen our faith in him. The testings that he takes us through is to prove where we're really at and then to take us deeper in relationship to him. When we were emptying my sister's, my tr sister's trailer out, all this junk, and we, we got a big 30-yard dumpster, filled it up, got another one, filled it up. We're just, I'm just realizing more and more, you know what really matters? 
The only thing that really matters is what we can take it with us into eternity. No one's got a U-Haul <laughs> that goes before them. All the things that we so often are busy about, many times are detrimental to a deeper faith, to knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. There are things that get in the way of us going deeper in our faith, things of the world and things of our flesh. So as we're walking on holy ground, the cross is central to everything that we hang our eternal destiny on. It's, it's in the cross. There we see in full display the glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. That what Jesus accomplished on the cross prophesied way before it ever happened, then it came into full fruition, as we'll see this morning, just like God said, and it takes us from our sin, past our sins, into eternity where there'll be no sin. Are you excited about that? Question, do you trust God? Do you trust God for the problems in your life? Do you trust God for the provision that you need to live your life? Do you trust God with those that you love the most? Do you really trust him? Is God able to take care of you? See, that's really the question. All who put their faith in God will be tested because God loves us. He wants us to know him. God will test us beyond our human limitations to bring about a faith that is no longer bound by our human limitations. So three things that we, look, we looked at here just to outline this chapter. We're going to get the second one. First of all, God tested Abraham. It was he who tested him to prove his faith over years and years and years of walking with him. Secondly, Abraham trusted God. That's the question this morning. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? And then finally... Abraham built an altar. We'll look at that next week. God, God tested Abraham. Abraham trusted God. Notice verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. God's telling him, take your son. Offering is a burnt offering. That means death. Early morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So here's the first thing. He went to that place where God told him. He had a conviction in his mind, knowing what God had told him to do. And that's the beginning of trusting God. What has he said to you? What's the truth? Do I have a conviction about that in my heart and mind? Because that's the first thing we need if we're going to trust God. Who is he? What does he reveal himself to be? What's he telling us to do? As one commentator put it, as far as Abraham, this is a staggering response to God telling him to go and take your son and offer him there as a burnt offering. He was preparing, prepared for the unthinkable. Something he would have never, a 30-mile, three-day journey to offer his son up. It's staggering. But he did it immediately. No hesitation. Why? He had a conviction that was so deep that if God told him to do it, it was the right thing to do. So he not only believed that in his mind, he knew it in his heart. And that's what God's doing. He's taking these convictions from our minds to our hearts. Do you find that? 
Well, I believe that where God guides, God provides, but what happened? We don't, oh no, what am I going to do? And there's the testing, there's the proving. Is God going to provide for you? Well, the question is, is he able to provide? Can he take care of all the problems in your life? Can he take care of those you love in your life? Can he do those things? And we know that mentally. God's taking those convictions and bringing them down to a place of completeness in concluding that indeed God is trustable. I can trust him. So what are the problems that that I face? What are the problems you're facing? Who are the people that you're so concerned about? And it's right to be concerned. It's right to, to, to be questioning and wondering, but is God able? And we know that up here. God wants to bring it through the testing. God tests us in these things to bring it down to here. And when it gets here, is that not one of the most glorious freedoms that you ever know? You can be in the worst of situations, but you know in your heart, I can trust God. I know he's going to bring me through that. I don't know how, and it's not necessarily that I even want to go there. I don't want to go to that place. But God, if he's going to take me to that place, he's going to take care of things. He's going to take care of me. And sometimes you see there's the place. I don't want to go to that place. And that just says there's more work God's wanting to do to take us to that place. Donald Barnhouse wrote this, which I love. When we obey God without question, we confess that we are finite and he is infinite. We acknowledge that he has all knowledge and that we have no wisdom. We show by our obedience that we believe he is good, that his plans are best for us, that he is full of grace and loving kindness, that in every way he is wonderful, good, wise, and loving, unquote. That's what happens when we obey God. Now, obedience requires repentance many times. In repentance is that work of God in deepening our faith in trusting him. Because repentance is just saying, I was wrong, God is right. I'm reminded that Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem just a week before the same crowd said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessings you comes in the name of the Lord. The next week, that same fickle crowd would be crucifying him on the cross. Did Jesus know that? He knew that. He was prepared for that. He was all ready. How was he prepared? Because of the love of the Father and the Son going to the cross. It's love that is the, that is the measure of depth. So Jesus was prepared for the unthinkable. The prince of life being crucified and killed. He was prepared for that because of the love between he and his father. Mount Moriah comes into view. Notice verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So first it says he went to the place, and as he's going three days, he lifts up his eyes and he sees it. And so for three days in the mind of Abraham, Isaac is dead. Can you contemplate what that would be like to be considering that? I'm walking alongside my son. And in three days, and he lifts his eyes up after the journey of 30 plus miles in three days. He lifts his eyes up and says, okay, now we're at the place. We're there. And sometimes we see the place, but it takes a while for God to get us to the place. But he's there now. And he saw the place afar off, and it's staggering again to consider what's going on in the mind of Abraham. Anguish of heart in his mind's eye. He's going to do what God called him to do, which is the unthinkable 
in that sense. See, but the place was determined by God. God's the one who told him. The place was a place of sacrifice unto death as commanded by God. And he did it without hesitating. His convictions, and as he's considering what's coming up, he had already concluded in his mind God was going to take care of it. God was going to take care of him. God is right every time. And to obey him and to go to that place and to see the place afar off and know now we're there and this is what has to happen. He had already had so many years of walking with God that now he was able to carry through with what God had prepared him to do as a human being, as a father. In this seventh and final appearance, Abraham is brought into the deepest fellowship possible with God. It's the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Will you trust God no matter what? You see, when you're you're in the fellowship of his sufferings, that requires a depth of intimacy with God that he is working in our hearts to experience a depth of relationship like no other. For those that you love most deeply, for the problems that seem impossible, will you trust God? Philippians 3, Paul writes, What things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss. I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, notice this, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, Paul had trophies all over his his room, on his walls, plaques. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He graduated high honors. He was the man as far as humanly making, being successful. He says here, I count it loss, rubbish. In other words, all those things had gotten in the way of intimacy with God through Christ. He thought he knew God. He thought he's walking with God. He comes to find out that wasn't what was going on at all. He's putting all the legalistic things on all these people and saying, I was a Pharisee, the Pharisee. Born in the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day. He looked at all of his trophies, all of his diplomas, all the things he had accomplished. He realized they kept me from knowing God through Jesus Christ. So he says, I'd be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He realized he had nothing to offer God. Nothing. It's what God had offered to him through the cross. The righteousness from God by faith that I, now notice, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How many of you say, yeah, the power of his resurrection? Oh, I want to know the power. And a lot of times preaching, that's, know the power. But notice what Paul said. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Because through death is freedom. Through death is liberty. Through death is intimacy. Through death to all the things of his own selfish life. His own self centered His pride. All that dying. Now he can know the God who created him and called him from his mother's womb. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Christ is becoming all he needs. Everything. To know God. Let me ask you a question. Is that not true? To know God is everything. 
To know the fellowship of his suffering is the depth of intimacy with God that he invites us into that we might begin to learn he is all and in all for me. It's also the deepest fellowship suffering between two people. Two ladies were always seen together. You hardly ever saw the one without the other. One, one of them died. And at her funeral, someone came up to her constant companion and said, you must really miss her. You were so close. To which the woman replied, I do miss her, but we were really not that close. Astounded, the lady responded, I always saw you together, laughing, having such a great time. Yes, she said, we laughed a lot together, but we never once cried together. You see, the depth comes through suffering. In Psalm 22, it sees that place of far off. And the prophecy is of the fellowship of his sufferings. Hundreds of years before it's even devised, hundreds of years before it ever even happened, God set these passages in place that we might understand just a little bit, this little we can enter into this suffering between the father and the son, even as we're seeing it between Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham bearing that to Mount Moriah. So Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, I believe, and this, Jesus quotes this, says this from the cross to point them to Psalm 22. And I believe he's, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, Jesus could bear the forsaking of every disciple. He went to the cross alone. But when his father then, he became that sacrifice for our sins and God laid him all the iniquity. It's like this, this break happened in this intimate, eternal relationship we can hardly even begin to fathom. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the others, I understand, I get it. I, but now this breaking of this eternal, I, where, where do you go with that? It's the fellowship of the sufferings, the father and the son. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but you are holy and thrown. He says, but you, and you notice this in the Psalm four times, but you, but you, but you. He said, Here, here's the intimacy between them, and yet here's this break, this breach, if you would, this suffering that's taking place. He's on the cross, but you are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. He goes on. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake that, saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. The mocking that, that Jesus bore. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaw. It's descriptive of a crucifixion. You have brought me to the dust of death. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can't, can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And John mentions this in his gospel. But you, O oh Lord, 
Do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. Save me from the lion's mouth. And I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. This is looking past the cross. It's the fellowship of his sufferings that we're reading in Psalm 22. Abraham saw the place afar off, and he considered what was going on, and he concluded. Like we read in Romans chapter 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Would you say amen to that? All the sufferings are like nothing when it's all said and done. Whatever we're going through here to bring us into intimacy with God and experience these things is worth it. Not that I like it, not that you would like it, but God in his love for us has, has, takes us along to these places that he might deepen our, our love for him. Next one. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working, notice, for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice that our light affliction, weight of glory, but for a moment, eternal. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. How many of you have your eyes on a lot of things that are seen? We all do. He's saying, hey, we need to look to the eternal. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, this is what we're looking for. This is where it's coming to. And the comparisons are not even, you can't even compare it. Next one. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our destiny, not the throne of God, in his presence in all eternity. That's what God's got. That's what we're going for. That's what we're living for. That's what God has for us. For consider him who endured such hostilities, hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary in being obedient to God. Because through the obedience to God, a depth of relationship with him becomes that which sustains us for the next place. The next thing, the next problem, the next excruciating relational thing that comes along. God's preparing us all along the way. You have not yet resisted bloodshed, striving against sin. First Peter, beloved, do not think it strange. Now, how many of you think it's strange? <laughs> I mean, just naturally. Why, why is this trial? This is strange. Why, why am I going through this? This is strange. No, Peter says it's not strange. Do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice, really? Yes, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We'll just leave those for you to apply. <laughs> Abraham trusted God. He went to the place and saw it afar off. 
He had a conviction about obedience to God that he didn't hesitate in. He was contemplating all the way what God had called him to do. It's going deeper into his life. But now he's concluding. And it says there, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go to what? Worship. He went to the place and he went to worship. Wow. I and the lab will go yonder and worship. Now, it's interesting to me that there are two words that we find first, first time they're used in the Bible in Genesis 22. The first one is love, and the second one is worship. Worship means to bow down. It means to submit oneself wholly to the will of God. That's worship. I, this came across my emails. You guys know who Francis Chan is, I'm assuming? He's a very well-known pastor. And he has this, I should have put it up there, but I didn't. But it says, the random churchgoer, quote, I really didn't like worship today, unquote. Francis Chan said, quote, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. I mean, that nails it. That's, that's worship. Not me. This isn't about me. This is about God. That's what worship is. It's taking my life as a living sacrifice and offering to God for whatever he has me, for me. That's worship. And that just hits it on the nail, doesn't it? That's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Worship and love are like hand in glove. When I love God, I understand what worship is. When I worship God, I understand what love is. God doesn't need my worship. I need him, and I need his love, and I need to know him intimately. And the deepest expression is when my life is given up as worship to him. Is not one of the most powerful worship scenes in all the Bible when Jesus fell on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane, surrendered his life to the will of the Father to go to a cross and be hideously scourged and put to death. Luke tells us this. Luke writes this. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. This is worship. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise up and pray lest you enter into temptation. You see, he, he's, he, he's given himself completely over to the will of the Father. His life there for him to be sacrificed. Notice verse 5 again. He says, we're going to go yonder and worship and we will come back. He didn't say, I will come back. He said, we will come back. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up, his, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding 
that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received in a figurative sense. Abraham had come to the place where he realized, I believe in the resurrection. He came to that place where he said, God will do what he said he will do. God will, he, he concluded that God is able, that God will do what he promised through Isaac. And that would mean if he's, if he's going to be killed, there's got to be a resurrection. And may I say, the resurrection is central to all of our hopes. If Christ is not risen from the dead, we're of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ is risen. And Jesus said, I will raise you up at the last day. So no matter what we're going through in this life, there is a resurrection that's ours through the cross and Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. He is the first fruits. He's the first one. If he didn't rise from the dead, we can't follow. But he did rise from the dead, and we will follow. Paul the Apostle wrote this in his great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Where do we find the Scriptures? Well, at least here in Genesis 22. Three days the journey. Dead, he said, hey, if God, if God has to, he'll raise him from the dead. He believed in the resurrection. And so Abraham trusted God. The question again for us, we're going to take communion. The question is, do you trust God? Are you trusting God? Whatever's going on in your life. So it's an important question that God wants to take from here to here for each of us. Whatever that problem might be, whatever that impossibility might be, can God take care of us? Will God take care of you? Is he not able? Does he not see? Can he not hear? So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. Notice this. And the two of them went together. They went together. Abraham went to the place. He saw the place afar off. He went to worship and then they went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, notice his father, his son, yes, son, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. It would be 2,000 years later that on that exact spot, Jesus would be crucified, Mount Moriah. And we read in, in verse 14, we'll get this next week. Abraham, call the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said in this, the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. It's incredible. Acting out, if you will, what would happen in time and reality to the Son of God. The Father offering up his Son on the cross for you and me. God tested Abraham. Abraham trusted God. He had a deep conviction. And so he believed what God had told him. And he did it. Didn't hesitate. That's what it means to trust God. Abraham was certain that God knew what he was doing, even if he didn't. 
You trust God? Abraham had concluded that God is able to do what he could never do. But he would if needed. Raise him from the dead. So the questions here as we go into communion. Will you trust God with those you love most deeply? Will you trust him for them? Will you trust God in the most fearful places you find yourself in? Will you trust God for the most impossible problems that you right now might be fighting? Is God able? Is God faithful? Will you trust God to take care of you no matter what? It's such a deep question, isn't it? And God wants to take us just on that next place to deepen these things, the conviction, the things we contemplate, things we think about, that we would conclude in a deeper way, if necessary, God will raise it from the dead. We, we would actually offer to him the most precious things in our lives and saying, I can trust God. I will trust God. Abba, Father. The everlasting Father, the Creator. The Alpha and the Omega, God Most High. The Ancient of Days, the Anointed One. The God who sees, the God who shepherds, the Prince of Peace. He's our provider, He's our healer, He's our sustainer, He's our helper, He's our comforter. Will you trust God? Are you trusting God? So what's the problem that you're facing? What's the problem that I'm facing? Who's the person that you wish you could help but you have no idea how to help them? What's the problem that's going on? What I want to do is in taking communion as we, as we remember his death is just to come to the cross because there God demonstrated he is loving us and good for us, and he wants to take us past these these things that hinder us from knowing him deeper through the cross. Will you trust God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in us? You see, because next week, Abraham builds the altar. He builds it. But the first question is, are you, going to, are you going to trust God in the place that he sent you, the place that you find yourself? Can you bow your heads for a moment?